Hello. Hello, and welcome to Diminishing Returns. Uh, welcome, we're on the fourth Indiana Jones film now. Immediately abandoned. The right decision. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Hello, and Hello. welcome to Diminishing... <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, where we are going to be discussing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the previously most hated Indiana Jones film. Uh, Maybe it still is. I don't know. Mm. We'll find out. There's a lot of most hated Indiana Jones films out there. I'm Calvin Dyson, and with me on the podcast, as always, are Sol. Yeah, you know why, Calvin. Go woke, go broke. That's what they did, didn't they? (laughs) And, And Alan. Bonjour. Bonjour. So, gents, two thousand and eight. Uh, this will have been an Indiana Jones film, the first Indiana Jones film that was released in cinemas that was brand new when we were all alive. I know. I remember um, very, very consciously being like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this one's within my lifetime." When I went to see it, feels weird, doesn't it? Like looking back, because yeah. like, I think eighteen um, years yeah, old. The, all the previous ones were released while we were um, still. Yeah, still not 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 in existence or in our mother's wombs. So. It's like if they made a new what's the film franchise that ended <laughs> pre nineteen ninety and they've never touched it again. Back to the, the Thin future. Man. Yeah, it's like if they made Back to the Future Part Four, but it feels more removed from that. I I don't know why it feels more. It's probably because it's set in the forties. That's probably what it is. That makes it feel mm. older than it actually is. It'd be like if they made a new Laurel and Hardy, wouldn't it, Calvin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, what you're doing bringing these characters back after 20 years, they're too old. It's, it's, the the time has gone. This has to be the last one. <laughs> the, the last hurrah of a broken machine. <laughs> it was clearly sort of intended that way, wasn't it? The last crusade we we spoke about was meant to be kind of the last one, but they pretty much immediately began working on a fourth one. Hmm. So I don't think it was that firmly in their mind, like, oh, okay. And and it just took them, how long would that be? <laughs> when did Last Crusade like come ni- out? It was uh, 89, so 19 years. 19 yeah. years, yeah, to, to do it. And it's similar to what happened with Jurassic World. I think they just kind of got stuck in development hell. Hundreds and hundreds of scripts were being passed around and ideas were being developed. George Lucas said he just couldn't land on a MacGuffin that was uh, good enough to to make another film about. Um, For a long time, I think they were developing uh, an Atlantis Indiana Jones movie that obviously never happened. Mm. I think they were working on an Indiana Jones movie script at one point that was going to be more like a, a haunted house kind of vibe. He was going to find his mm. way into like a haunted castle with ghosts and things. Um, mm. And I think they deemed it a bit too paranormal. And then, yeah, somewhere along the line, I guess after enough time had passed that it was like, right, well, it has to be in the 50s now just because of the ages of everyone. George Lucas was like, well, let's do it about aliens then. And I was reading about this and apparently apparently Spielberg was not on board. <laughs> he didn't like that idea. So it's quite remarkable that's what they did. How I mean, I remember it was really controversial at the time that, like, they're making Indiana Jones about bloody aliens. That's ridiculous. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Yeah. 
Uh, I don't mind it at all. Um, I can't remember how I felt about it at the time. I remember seeing this at the cinema and liking it well enough. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, not not to quibble, but I did see someone was sharing around a clip of Spielberg from one of the making of features the other day where he was talking about how George Lucas originally pitched it as Aliens. Spielberg didn't like it very much and pushed back, but then ultimately relented. Yeah, and then he even did after he relented. After he relented, George was like, oh, no, no, you're right, these shouldn't be aliens, they should be interdimensional <laughs> beings instead. Uh, Which are still like, aliens! Whatever. Yeah, interdimensional I mean, like, aliens are still aliens, they're just not space aliens. Particularly when they look, like, the design is just so, yeah, it's little green man. In fact, they are, they are, it's... they're space aliens in the sense of time and space. They are aliens, they're just not, not intergalactic, like, yeah. Alan, how do, how do you feel about the idea of aliens? Better than ghosts, so who cares? Well, I, that, I agree. I, I remember being vehemently in favour of it at the time, you know? Aliens is as reasonable a MacGuffin as a box that lets you speak to God or a, you know, mind control soup or whatever the fuck. It, it's all, you know, the holy grail. It's like, yeah, just... Mm. Have aliens, and it's set in the fifties. So yeah, the other ones were like pastiches of the 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 pulp cinema of their their time in which they're set of the nineteen forties. It, it makes sense. Yeah, you you evolve that. This is set in the fifties. So what was the pulp cinema of the time? Well, yeah, it was B movies. It was monster movies with like giant radioactive lizards and little green men and UFOs. You know, Ed Wood stuff. Area fifty one. It always made perfect, perfect sense to me, and I was fully, fully on board with it conceptually. But I do, you'll probably know more about this than I do, Calvin. I do think that this was very much intended as the final film now. We're going to do old Indiana Jones, one last hurrah, really kind of wrap things up with a nice bow. Mm. Is that kind of... Right, I mean, I, obviously, the the you know everyone sort of assumes Mutt Williams was being set up to carry the torch. Mm, mm. Pretty much what it was, by the sounds of it. Uh, obviously, the film has a little you know play with that concept, particularly at the end when Mutt's about to put on the iconic indie hat, and then he yeah gets it taken back off him. I mean, the ending is so like you know it, it's and they lived happily ever after. It's like Indy gets married and he has a family now and all that. It's just it's really like on the nose, um, you know, buttoning up everything. Um, I again, I, I think similar to Last Crusade. I don't know if like Lucas and Ford might have sort of thought like, oh, maybe we will do more of these. Maybe even like Ford would cameo in the Mutt Williams adventures. Yeah, I feel like Spielberg himself probably was like, all right, yeah, this is the this is the last one. Mm. I I kind of get that impression. I kind of get the impression that Spielberg was like, it's the last one I'll do, but maybe they'll make. Mutt Williams Joe movies Dante or what have you, someone else directing it, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it was the last one he did, thinking about it. You know Indiana Jones is famously named after a dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that why they called this character Mutt? <laughs> you nailed it! <laughs> uh, in fact, Willy from um, Temple of Doom was named after, I think, Spielberg's dog. Spielberg's yeah, the, the Willy. And uh, Short Round was named after the screenwriter's dog who named him after, like, I think that, that like, they named their dog after a film character from the 30s or something, and they took Oh, you, yeah, you so are, it was, that is dangerous territory if you start <laughs> naming your characters after pets from the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, yeah. 
I agree with you, actually, Sol, about all of the, uh, you know, the 1950s. I like that it's Indian, the atomic age, mm. uh, all the alien stuff. I do think that they lean into it really well. The greaser sort of stuff, like, on the waterfront, James Dean sort of vibes. It's I, I think it's a real nice um, theming to the overall film, if I'm honest. I agree. It's, it's a really refreshing change of pace. We've had three films that are for all intents and purposes, very similar settings. I know one of them's a different decade mm. to the other two, just about, but and they are set in different countries, but, you know, it's all kind of 1930s, 40s, blends into one, you know, old-timey adventure landscapes. It's it's a really nice kind of... And, you know, I get, we do have a lot of that here as well, but, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a shot in the arm. Uh, mm. that the franchise probably needed to keep going after the third one. Hmm. Well, it could have just died. A yeah. Dignified death. But... <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. My my sort of first... my I, I did see this at the time, but I haven't seen it since. So I was coming... Felt fairly fresh coming into this, watching this again. Um, And honestly, like, I was into it. I was thinking, you know, this has got all those... Things I wanted. It's got it's got the the drama, the tension. We set up a new side character. It's mm. got this quest and they're solving puzzles and stuff like that, which is I was missing from the previous films. So honestly, the first hour I was into it. I was all on board. Okay, thank you. And then, you and then the I, second I thought, hour. I thought we were. <laughs> I thought we were gearing up for Alan thinks Crystal Skull is the best one. Or, I, or I, is the same as the other three. The first half, I was there. I was on it. I was on with it, but. Then I'm kind of with you. I, I, there was I'm a, not a forty-minute-long but... car chase, and I wanted to kill myself. Well, <laughs> let's go back to the start, right? We've got. Um, we haven't spoken about this yet, but every Indiana Jones movie um, so far, you open on the Paramount logo, and then it transitions into a you know a, a similar shot of a, a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. It's a fun, playful little thing. You've got the mountain in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, so it just kind of made sense. And then they they had a mountain sort of design on a gong at the start of Temple of Doom that you fade into. And then Last Crusade obviously just didn't have any ideas about like doing it in a clever way, so they just have another shot of some rocks that look like a mountain. Um, <laughs> and then this one, which I, I kind of feel this is a bit of a mission statement for... What, you wanted a good movie? Fuck you. Uh, it opens with a, a, a molehill, like a, a groundhog's little molehill, which I actually really like. I think that's a funny little inversion of expectations. Uh, and then a terrible CGI groundhog pokes its head out of the ground. And I think everyone in the cinema probably just thought, oh no. I think particularly, because I I agree with everything you said there, and I think particularly your point about a a mission statement, though I don't think it's deliberate, but it felt so at odds with so much of the marketing leading up to the (laughs) film, which was all about how we're doing it for real, because particularly at this time, CGI had really sort of taken over Hollywood cinema and people were yearning for like, you know, your traditional stunts and, you know, that kind of thing again. And they'd made such a big deal about Harrison's doing a lot himself and we're doing a lot of real stunts and all that kind of stuff. And then for real, for real, for real. And then to open on like a shot of a CGI gopher like popping up. It was just like, oh and wow, not, this is yeah. And not a good CGI gopher, you know, it's not like Life yes. of Pi technology yet. It's a two thousand and eight CGI gopher. 
Yeah, you know I, yeah exactly. I, I was all right with the gopher. I thought I thought it was better than the monkeys later on. But if if the whole film had been better, I would fully embrace the CGI gopher <laughs> at the start. I'll tell you what did it for me quite early on was when they that sort of the first scene between the two our two main characters there, and then they have to escape and. Muck gets on his Wild Ones motorcycle and Indy's on the back. And they're driving around and it was like, why is this, is this someone driving around on a motorbike with a, a mannequin sat on the back? With a dodgy <laughs> wig on it. It wasn't even a stunt double. Like, it was just never moved at all. Oh. And I thought, what what's that about? <laughs> I don't know if I picked up on that. It's because to go back and have a look. Because it was immediately like, oh god, what a crap stunt double! It's not even like bent. It's not even like moving like a person. <laughs> like, oh, it's, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think this is sort of on the note we're talking about here. But I've I made the note here that like the the film just it just kind of looks wrong on some level. Do you know what I mean? That that mm. it's that like the color grade or something. It's that two thousand and eight aesthetic, and mm. there's something about it just doesn't look right for Indiana Jones and I I guess it's of course it just doesn't look the same as the other three that were made largely within the same time frame as one another um, but I don't know there's just something very artificial looking about it and I don't mean like the effects I mean like the the lighting and the color grade and the just the general mise-en-scene uh, it should be noted that it is a different cinematographer. I'm oh, not really? sure if Douglas Slocum had passed away. Um, but this is like, since Schindler's List, I think Steven Spielberg has always used the same cinematographer. Janusz, um, I can't remember his surname now. Um, but I feel like you've kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Like All of Spielberg's films, now that he uses this guy, I don't know if he's... Is... Well, you're bright. It looks like... Ready Player One yeah. had the same yeah. kind of horrible look about it. Is that the biggest reason that Spielberg can't recapture his former magic? Is it just that the look of his films is like gone shit? I do wonder because you previously <laughs> would, you know, use various different cinematographers. Uh, Dean Cundey did Jurassic Park, uh, but this guy who is used since Schindler's List. I, funnily enough, I was because I, I rewatched Schindler's List and um, Amistad recently, um, and I, I did a bit of looking into the cinematographer because I think Schindler's List is a like a stunning film. I think it's absolutely. Sumptuous. So you're saying this is the cinematographer who did Schindler's List? Yes. Okay, well that is baffling. And also Amistad. But I guess it was black and white. You've got it, Sol, because then I started looking into this of like, why is this... Apparently this cinematographer was really acclaimed for his black and white cinematography, mm. which is why Spielberg got him onto Schindler's List. He was a young Polish cinematographer. I think he, he I think he's like 20 years younger than Spielberg, something like that. And then Spielberg kept him around ever since, but his colour cinematography is perhaps not as accomplished, uh, which is, I think, the, the main difference here. I think he was probably brought onto Schindler's List because they were filming that in Poland, it probably helped to have someone so senior in the crew who could, mm. you know, talk to other members of the crew. Um, Janusz Kaminski is his name. And yeah, I guess he must really get along with Spielberg really well, because, yeah, he's filmed everything I think he's done since then. Hmm. Um, it feels very, th like, thin, if that makes sense. There's no, like, depth to the the colors on screen and the 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 mm. the darkness it all feels very overly lit i suppose and quite flat um mm. 
And it, it, I think it is partly an aesthetic of its era. Um, it was when, you know, colour grading tech was really becoming the norm, and I, I, I think a lot of films were embracing an almost kind of overly saturated look at the time and i think this kind mm. of borders on getting into that territory as well um mm. but mm. yeah I, I don't know it just it was very it was jarring because going back to it now it makes it look quite cheap and it's obviously yes. not a cheap film it's it's a bloody expensive film and it's got one of the like all-time great directors at the helm who's made films that historically even in this franchise look wonderful mm. so it's just very jarring to be honest it's it's weird mm, yeah I, I completely agree and i don't think anyone really verbalized it at the time but i do wonder how much like subconsciously it might have contributed towards the visceral hatred this film uh, received. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> uh, for the record, by the way, Indiana Jones The Last Crusade was Douglas Slocum's last film. Ah, And he would have been 76 when he did that. <laughs> it was his last crusade. Mm. Oh, he did live to be 103, so he could have worked for longer. He's just he's just lazy. Oh, so he, ju- he, did, he retired. So he drank from the grail, and... Uh... So we have that, that groundhog uh, opening... And then it, it looks over, and our opening scene in this film, our opening scene in the previous three Indiana Jones movies has been a big action sequence involving Indiana Jones himself. And I think this is the first major failing of this film, um, mm. is that the opening sequence is just a bunch of random teenagers doing like a drag race yeah. Over some... Not, it's not even Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If it was Shia LaBeouf, it would at least feel vaguely, like, thematically relevant. They didn't seem to be showing the driver much. They were just showing the other people. I thought, oh, it's going to kind of pan across and it'll be Shia yeah. LaBeouf and we'll be set. But I think it must be because the stunt driver was probably about 38. And they couldn't <laughs> get younger, so they just like, hit it a bit. But... Yeah, I was expecting that to come to something, but it didn't. On this rewatch, because I guess I didn't know Spielberg as much when I was younger. I, you know, I knew him as the guy who'd made ET and what have you. But now I know he's clearly got a real thing for the 1950s. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. So I thought you were going to say that. Now I know he's got some real talent. <laughs> <laughs> no, now now I know all about his daddy issues and stuff. You know. <laughs> But he's he's clearly got a real like soft spot for the fifties, and I guess it it's probably just nostalgia well, growing. Gone. Yeah, exactly. Growing mm. up, this just felt like Spielberg wanted to make a different movie about teenagers fucking around in the fifties, and he was like, "Oh well, I'll put that here." Um, mm. And it's not it's not necessarily a bad sequence. It's just like this is an Indiana Jones movie. What are we doing? And then and then the villains turn up, and then Indiana Jones mm. turns up, and he's like been kidnapped yeah he's been pulled out of a boot of a car when we see him for the first time yeah uh, which is fine it's just why have i just been watching teenagers drag racing for 15 minutes well i think it's to announce the era it might well be a sort of a nod to american graffiti for yeah. george lucas Felt you know like, young yeah. people yeah and harrison ford calvin don't forget him he was in that oh good lord he was yeah oh <laughs> god it all it all comes back around it's a yeah, yeah. vicious circle and then we we get uh do we meet kate blanchett here yes how do we feel about that <laughs> my favorite indiana jones villain of them all <laughs> okay well this is the first one we've had that's actually got a <laughs> character yeah, it uh, does help, doesn't it? Yeah, it really to be does. Fair, like, still don't get a lot out of her, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> she's much maligned in this film. People make fun of her. Oh, really? 
Mm. Yeah, I think it's because of the accent more than anything. But I, I quite oh, enjoyed she's it. Nailing that Ukrainian accent. The yeah. yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. I, I must. You know what really, what really struck me in this film actually on the rewatch, and mm-hmm. it, it first struck me here. The hair. At this scene. <laughs> no. The the writing, the broad strokes <laughs> writing of the structure. All right. There's some issues there. Like what actually happens. We've got some problems there. We'll get into it as we go along. The dialogue in this film might be the best dialogue I think in any Indiana Jones movie. Like the the little back and forths, the quips, the 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 lines they've got. It's beautiful stuff, and it it's David Coep. He's a, a really solid, you know, studio gun screenwriter. Can you give us? But... Can you give us an example? Um, well, the, the one that made it just spring to mind for me there was when uh, God, what is it? Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett says something. Do you know where I am or so- where I'm from or something? But it's the way he replies. We're like, well, the way you're chewing those wobble yeast, I'd say Eastern Ukraine. It's just it was just a really nice kind of back and forth. Indy had some great lines in this. Hmm. He says, "I like Ike." Did you like that, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean Indiana Jones is a Republican? Well, he no, he just means he's a true American. It just means he likes the current president, because back then, that's <laughs> all that meant. Even in 2008, you were allowed to be, like, in favour of the president, George Bush, even if you didn't like, you know. You're either a Republican or a communist. <laughs> What's it gonna be? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past the Harrison Ford character to be a Republican. It's It kind of tracks. It's just he's, he's a also white a... white man. He's also a university lecturer, and they tend oh, to be a Oh, bloody liberal university more... snowflakes. Yeah, exactly. Go woke, go broke. <laughs> That's the that's the duality of Indiana Jones. You know, he's the he's the professor and the adventurer. He yeah. he wants to he wants to go and pillage uh, foreign cultures, but then he wants to put it in a museum, an American museum. So this opening, anyway, they've got Indy at gunpoint, and they basically force him to to help them. Yeah, what the fucking hell is going on, Indy? These fucking Russians can't put a gun on me. Yeah. I forget that Ray Winston was a real um, sort of Hollywood casting option around this time. I think Beowulf was just the year before, wasn't it? Um, well, he was in The Departed, wasn't he? Wasn't he like Jack Nicholson's Enforcer or something like that? Maybe we'll get into talking more about his character later on, because he's something of a weak link for me. I feel like mm. he is just here as a screenwriting device, because in order for the climax to work, you know, the bad guys needed a reason to find the good guys, and so you needed a, a yeah. character there to give it away. Because he doesn't do much throughout the film. I agree. Um, and and there's yeah. a lot... It's not just him. Um, there's too many characters in this film. Too many extraneous characters that don't really add anything to the proceedings. Mm. Um, he's mm. one of them. But yeah, so we, we have this sequence where Indiana Jones starts uh, emptying gunpowder out of grenades and bullets to throw it up in the air to to find this magnetic artifact because the gunpowder will be drawn to magnetic. it. And it's... Look, I, for, I forgive the gophers. <laughs> the, the CGI here is shit. And it's a problem with this film in general. The CGI is just wank. Like, some gunpowder <laughs> up in the air flying through the sky. I don't know, that kind of feels like it should be... Against the laws of physics. Do, well, yeah. I mean, that's probably it. It's probably not that the CGI is so bad. It's just that the, the actual motion is so unnatural and stupid looking. Because he throws it up in the air and it kind of pauses and then floats along. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not how that would work if it actually worked, is it? It would just kind of... It's also how it kind of goes along in a straight line and and then presumably turns, and it, whereas <laughs> it just go as like you know the the quickest line to the magnetized you know thing. But yeah, anyway. So it's again not a great 
start to the proceedings, really. Uh, I think they make up for it with this um, action, the, the car chase afterwards. I think this is an awful lot of fun around the warehouse. I, I'm um, with you. I'm with you. I like that Indy establishes he's still got it. He does a bit of whipping, but then he, he, you know, he falls backwards, so he's sort of half got it. I like that. Mm. I like that we yeah. see the shot of the sort of rocket car thing going, and then all the groundhogs mm. look at it, and it's that's my favourite bit in the film. That's why I forgave the <laughs> shitty CGI groundhogs, because of that reaction shot of them all watching the car. Um, we do get a shot of uh, the Ark of the Covenant in this whole secret. Yes, God, it lingers on it for oh, like, it? more than... I, what, did, what, uh, what did you think it was? I don't know, I was just I was looking around like, oh, is this that same bit from that movie where where the Ark is? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the idea, and I, I do think that that's quite nice. I, I don't know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. You saw it in the first film. Well, I don't, I don't know what it looks like, because Indiana Jones told me not to look at it in the first film, <laughs> so I closed my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite nice. I think it's a nice, like, I remember when I was watching the film for the first time, in fact, I think you see it in the trailers, so I just hypothesized that yeah, that they're here for the Ark. You'd think that the Russians are there for the Ark, and then the fact that they're there for something else is a, a nice surprise. I like the, I like it just as a little tip of the hat. Now that you say it, I remember being very aware of that when I first watched this in the cinema, and being like, oh, mm. We're going to talk about the nuclear uh, nuke in the fridge. Yeah. Nuclear. So... I don't mind it. I mean, why is the TV on in that test home, for a start? It's to a see test. how explosions interact Affect with the TV when it's on. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I look. In theory, I want Indiana Jones to have to escape a nuclear test site. I like that. <laughs> that is the fifties okay. Americana that I want in this film. <laughs> That's what we all remember: picket fences <laughs> and nuclear bombs. Yeah. My problem here is. And I know he jumped out of a plane and landed on the ground just with a life raft in one of these films. <laughs> the problem here is, it's not that a lead-lined fridge would protect him from the blast and the radiation enough for him to not be killed by the thing. I, I can go with that. Mm-hmm. It's more that throwing the fridge, like, <laughs> hundreds of feet into the air, like, breakneck sp- like speed... It'd break his neck. Yeah, he would. He, the fridge would open, and out would drop like a mangled oh, uh. pile of Indiana bones. <laughs> I found that as I was speaking. You can, you can, you can hear me working it out. Um, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's nonsense. And I remember at the time, people being like, "Ah, oh, well, he drank from the Holy Grail, didn't he?" So that's why he's a bit. He's able to withstand it, maybe. <laughs> And I just, I just genuinely, I don't know what anyone involved was no. thinking, what they fucking thought they were playing at. He's not even shaken. He, he hasn't even got a bit of concussion. He's, he's perfectly healthy. <laughs> they could, they could have at least had him grab a load of frozen peas out of the freezer to like pad, <laughs> pad himself in there. I agree that it is the most overtly cartoony bit of kind of. Because I'm thinking back to the other films, I don't think there's anything that defies logic as much as this. Yeah. Like, like you say, it is the fact like how violent this thing like crashes around. It's just like yeah, he's he would be completely dead. I mean, the fact that he's, like, stood, you know, the fact that he can stand and observe the mushroom cloud as well is probably not a good thing. 
Um, what we call the cancer zone. Yeah, no, exactly. That's all right, they give him a shower. <laughs> the Doctor No uh, <laughs> understanding of how radiation works. Scrub. They turn it into a cartoon, and it's never really been that before. Funnily enough, I had the same exact problem with Iron Man, which was uh, out in cinemas at the same time we discussed mm. last time. Because um, Iron Man, again, is for all intents and purposes set within reality, and, and there's just this genius who can build stuff. It's sci-fi. Uh, but then he does a test on one of his suits and falls hundreds of feet from the sky crashes into the the ground below and he's fine and the suit protects him perfectly next yeah. scene <laughs> exactly it's just like uh, it stops me from liking it and it just it's just it's too silly i just don't know what they thought they were doing uh, yeah I, I it does feel like it exists purely so that we can have a silhouette of indiana jones stood looking at the mushroom cloud and i feel like this entire sequence beginning with the kids in the car listening to the music and then ending with this it is just sort of like book ending kind of yep we are in the 50s now well, the, and the, you're yeah. right so what you're saying about the, the general concept you know it, it, i like it and it could work all you have to do is have him affected by the blast less so the house is sort of torn away the the fridge yeah gets dragged across the ground 20 feet you know yeah. like just something where he might yeah. get a bit knocked about i'd be fine it. with that I'd be fine with that. I can. I don't even mind that the radiation doesn't kill him because, well, It'll you know, later. as far as we're concerned in this film, he'll die of cancer five years down the line. Certainly it's not going to be alive fifteen years later. And those 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 test nukes weren't necessarily they were shitty little that, nukes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's annoying because it's so needlessly silly. But I, I, I am intrigued because, you know, we were talking about how there were hundreds of scripts being developed for this film before they landed on the one we've got. And I, I believe David Coop's come out and said, like, yeah, I didn't write half of this. It was just like George Lucas took a scene from another script that he liked. And mm. like the bit with the ants is apparently from another script just stuck on. I think the fridge bit is. Um, Flying and my... <laughs> I don't think we've ever had confirmation of this, but it does seem like the fridge scene is taken from Back to the Future. Oh, really? Do you not know this, Calvin? No, 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 I don't know Back to the Future that well. Well, the, the, the original, like, first draft of Back to the Future, um, the time machine was built into a fridge, basically, or something that certainly had oh. the appearance of a fridge. Your classic kind of lead-lined 1950s fridge. And how do you get a fridge to travel at 88 miles an hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was that was the other thing. It wasn't that they had to get it up to speed. They had to, like, blast it with, uh, I think, radiation. Or maybe it wasn't uranium. They had to, like, find the radioactive power by taking it to a nuclear blast site. Um, and the reason they changed it from a fridge was that uh, is it Bob Gale, the shit. producer on, on Back to the Future? Someone on Back so. to the Future basically said, we can't do that because it might kids might uh, be encouraged to imitate the film and mm. climb inside of fridges. And that was an issue back at the time of kids getting trapped in fridges because... I think the 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 mechanism on those old things would basically yeah lock from the outside. You couldn't open them once you're in there. Hmm. So they change it to a car, turn it into a DeLorean. Um, the rest is history. It has other advantages. Cars tend yeah. to be more mobile than fridges. But but basically, the climax <laughs> of Back to the Future in that original script is a. a a fridge at a nuclear bomb site because again remember they're in the 1950s there were nuclear bomb tests going on they knew right this test happens at this date so it 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 really seems like spielberg being 
producer on Back to the Future obviously had his, you know, access to all these scripts. I imagine George Lucas probably read it. It just seems like they lifted the scene out of the original Back to the Future, and I find that really baffling. Hmm. But I don't think they've ever confirmed one way or the other that that's what they did. Hmm. Yeah. Let's see. CGI nuke. That's the first bit of CGI that actually feels justified in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need them to go all Christopher Nolan and <laughs> do it for real. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> then we sort of move back to um, Indy's hometown. It's uh, Connecticut, is it not? We establish... Uh, needlessly, really, maybe not, that Henry Jones is now dead. Mm. And so is Marcus Brody. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I find it weird that he, like, fair enough him having a, you know, an 8x10 glossy of his dad on his desk, but not of Marcus Brody. Not his mum, though. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Apparently they did try to um, get Sean Connery back for this. I think it oh, would have... Oh, really? It would have... I mean, when you look at it, you think, like, oh, he could have you know, maybe been the John Hurt part. I think they've come out since and said, oh, actually, it would have just been a cameo in these scenes. Maybe he would have had the Jim Broadbent role um, instead. I think a one-scene cameo would have been nice with him, but if he... Had he retired at this point? The trouble was, it would have uh, he would have had to come to Britain to film it, and uh, the tax, <laughs> tax situation <laughs> was a problem, he says. <laughs> Well, this was at the time when he had, you know, formally retired from acting, and, you know, I think we know now that his health wasn't very good in the later years of his life, so I don't know, like, how much that affected it. But he actually he, like, thought he, com- he was a vet. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> by this point. He, he, he commented on it in his lifetime, saying that, uh, retirement's just too fun, I just can't be bothered with it anymore, which, fair play. <laughs> I'm a knackered old man, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely wealthy, and I'm living in luxury, go away. I think I would have preferred that they just didn't mention him at all, if I'm totally yeah. honest, rather than just killing him. It just feels a bit, Didn't need it. oh, we've got to put him in there, but it's like, do you? What happened to Short Round then? I also didn't give a second shit what happened to Marcus Brody either, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Marcus Brody's an odd one, because they never comment on Salah, for instance, um, in this, and I think of him in the yeah. same sort of stature as Marcus Brody, and memorable, you know, yeah. supporting player, it's, it's odd. I bet he's still alive. I it's bet Salah. he's still going now. Yeah, he's probably still around now. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, okay. Um, anyway. Uh... <laughs> but we do have... A replacement, uh, another Englishman working in an American university as the head of the archaeology department, I guess? Archaeology department? Archaeology, yeah, it's a new thing. (laughs) It's a mixture of archaeology and um, actually being uh, uh, something with a T in it. I could hear, you know, it was it was a similar process to what Saul went through with his Indiana Bones comment earlier on, but just, just <laughs> without the without the climax. I was waiting for it. it. Didn't find it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you just you just start talking, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Jim Broadbent's here for just a couple of scenes. He is like the obvious like Marcus replacement. Um, it's a bit of an odd choice, really, but... It is a very odd choice. Even as a an 18-year-old, I thought, like, that was bizarre. Yeah. Why? So he's barely here. So... He didn't really do anything. 
Well, what do you think Jim Broadbent is? Do you think he was like... He's the guy at Hot Fuzz. All the, yeah, all the American fans of India going, oh, look, it's Jim Broadbent. <laughs> no, I, ju- I just kind of feel like you, you, you bring in a replacement to a crusty old man and you go for an even crustier older man. <laughs> I don't know. It just, if, it just feels like if you're going to, I don't know, have like a younger guy because it's like the next generation <laughs> taking over. That would play into the themes of the film more, surely. Well, have had a great big bushy beard. Yeah, <laughs> On the subject of the young generation, it is around here that we are introduced to uh, Shia LaBeouf, Mutt Williams. Yeah, this was definitely the peak of his stardom in these years when Spielberg was shoving him into every production. He was in the Transformers series, of course. He had like smaller thrillers like uh, the Rear Window ripoff, and then he was in a yeah, North yeah, by yeah. Northwest ripoff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of those. Look, I, I, I say what you will about Spielberg's little. Um... Love affair with LaBeouf. The LaBeouf era. The the beef. <laughs> the beef period. <laughs> I think Shia LaBeouf has that that X factor, star power, charisma. I think he's got it. I think Spielberg was right to identify that in him. He kind of his, his career's not really played out for different reasons you know he's a bit too much yeah it's like... hindsight bias right yeah he's got he's been driven mental by the hollywood machine we see that it's a shame but yeah i I'm agree i'm all on board i think he's he's got yeah he's got he's got the uh the x factor as they say and i think mm. this film to be frank is probably a big part of what ultimately killed his career <laughs> to be perfectly frank because it's miscasting him because it was so heavily implicit that he might be set up to take over as the next Indiana Jones, that's he's just not who we want. We don't want a 1950s greaser taking over for Indiana Jones, and we don't want Shia LaBeouf doing it. But again, talking about how this film at the start felt like Spielberg was kind of just loving the nostalgia, I guess it's having seen The Fablemans. I was like, oh, Shia LaBeouf, I think... And maybe I'm totally off base here. I think Shia LaBeouf is a kind of wish fulfillment figure in this film for Spielberg. I think that is Spielberg projecting what he wishes he was like as a kid growing up in the 50s onto a character. (laughs) Because he's like uh, Shia LaBeouf's, um, uh, I think he's half Jewish, isn't he? He's got the same kind of build and vibe as Sammy Fableman, certainly. So that's who I think of now when I think of young Spielberg. It (laughs) it just seemed very much like, this is kind of me as a kid, but look, he's a cool greaser, he's got a motorbike, look how tough he is. I'm not sure I'm quite convinced Spielberg's Mary Sue character. I don't think Spielberg was ever kind of like, maybe in a, a, yeah, more like he's watched The Wild Ones and gone, oh, that's cool. Yeah, 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 I think so. I don't don't know if he's ever like reality check of, um, oh, maybe I should get a motorbike. Oh, maybe someone (laughs) wouldn't let me. But I think think it's just a very misjudged casting, really. Um, The son of Indiana Jones. I don't know, I guess people want someone a bit more like Indiana Jones. Yeah. and maybe that speaks to uh, maybe. a problem with the audience expectations and yeah, wanting the I mean, obvious thing, but yeah, maybe that's too obvious. But I, I know what you're getting at. Mutt just isn't a very likable character, as he's, he's drawn. not very likable. I think that's a big part of it because he he doesn't quite fall into oh, I'm an angry, petulant teen, and then by the end, I've kind of had a character arc. 
he's just mm. a bit of a knob all the way through and yeah. not even a big enough knob for it to be kind of a yeah like a big character shift thing um yeah so yeah it never quite works does it and then the relationship between them it's when they find out it's actually his father and yeah. Doesn't really do anything, does it? And it's all it's and it's a bit too obvious, like it was gonna be a bluff or something. It also doesn't mm. help that he doesn't look anything like Harrison Ford or Karen Allen. Is it Karen mm. Allen? Yeah. 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 Like he doesn't look it's like how did that was he adopted? He doesn't look mm. anything like him. Also it doesn't help that the scene is so jarring where we're introduced to him because Indiana Jones is on a train. Um mm. Shia LaBeouf's kind of like keeping up with the train as it's leaving talking to Indiana Jones through the window and he's sort of like trying to get his attention and then it just cuts to them in a diner and it's like hang on how did he get off the moving did he jump up and like jump out the wind like what how yeah and I feel like a scene was cut to be honest where Indiana Jones (laughs) like pulled the emergency brake and (laughs) said, you know, an equivalent of no ticket or whatever and, like, jumped <laughs> off the train. But it, it just, it's so weird, an edit. Did Michael did Michael Kahn work on this one, or is it someone else? I don't think Michael uh, Kahn would have stood for that shit. I, it feels just like, yeah, it's one of those scenes where it's like, oh, yeah, let's have him on a motorbike and he's driving next to the train. It's like, so, like, just walk up to him and go, excuse me, are you, are you Indiana Jones? I'd like to have a word. Well, that, that feels like an homage to, you know, it's not Brief Encounter, is it? But it feels like some old, like, romance movie Spielberg loved that he wanted to just, like, do a scene from. Well, yeah, Brief Encounter is on the train platform, at least. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't have that. That is a scene in something, isn't it, where the person's, like, following along along the track and talking and and the motorbike's just like (laughs) (laughs) also did he not have any bags on the train because he doesn't have them in the diner (laughs) travels light yeah Mm. definitely does i was just gonna say i think that we're three for three on um the shia labeouf thing i i think we all have the same sort of um opinion that you know he's a good enough actor and you know there's just something that doesn't quite coalesce about this particular film. Um, but I do really like his chemistry with Harrison Ford in certain scenes. And I think this whole mm. action sequence here with the motorbike, whether, you know, getting away from the FBI, going around the school and everything. I really like this whole thing. It's very capery. Good action scene. Mm. Hey, do you know what, right? I'm just thinking about this now. But Shia LaBeouf reminds me of Daniel Day-Lewis. Like he's <laughs> everything he does is just so intense. Kind of get like, what you mean. Yeah, yeah it's no, just I, like I, I can't see him just yeah. playing a sort of light, frothy character. Well, you should watch Even Stevens, mate. And that's fine, but you just need to hmm. turn up every seven years with some like major character role that you've been living for for the last you know six months. The hmm. problem with Shia LaBeouf that I have is he always feels miscast. He always feels like a square peg crammed into a round hole. The only thing I've ever seen him in where it sort of felt right, like he wasn't meant to be there was Even Stevens. Um, and I think Spielberg was just a really big fan of Even Stevens. I think he watched it, he thought, this is the funniest show I've ever seen. We, we need to get this kid in everything. <laughs> um, and I, you know what it is? I think, I think it's because Shia LaBeouf, if Spielberg hadn't taken such a shine to him, I, I feel like he'd be the quirky best friend in most things. I don't feel like he would be the lead man in these huge films. And then maybe he'd get some, like, little indie comedies off the ground. You know, like the kind of films Aubrey Plaza makes. And then when he does try and do little indie films now, like you say, Alan, it's it's just too too much. 
and like Honey Boy. I don't know if you saw that, but his whole like this was my tough childhood as a kid, and I'm playing my own dad in it. He just doesn't work because he's playing like an old balding man. It just doesn't. I don't know. It's like, but he still comes across like a a little kid. He's got that like young, forever young face, that Leonardo DiCaprio face, where he's gonna look like he's twelve until he hits like fifty and starts to dough out a bit. <laughs> yeah, motorbike, good in it. I, do, well, you know, what I don't like in this scene. A lot of the mm-hmm. comedy in this film just totally falls flat, and this is a great example of of this, right? They're they're motorbike chasing. They go into uh, the library. Is it? Indiana Jones, like, on the bike. It kind of skids under the table. It goes very slowly under. And then a student just goes, "Uh, Excuse me, Dr. Jones, I had a question. And he's, like, doing his homework or something. And it's like, what? That's almost as stupidly cartoonish and reality-breaking as the fridge scene. No (laughs) one would ever, ever, ever behave in that way. Yeah, I think you could get the same effect as they slide under the table... And then Indiana Jones stands up, looks at the student and says, make sure that report is on my desk by, by tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? Like yeah. saying something yeah. where Indiana Dust Jones is not tries to save the face. seriousness of the situation. You know, that's that's one of Tom Hanks's kids, the, the student who... <laughs> is it the bad one? Uh, I think so, yeah. It's not Colin Hanks, is it? Chet. Chet Hanks is the bad kid. Oh, it's yes, it's Chet Hanks. Yeah. Um, it's sort of from this point onwards that we get the plot for the rest of the film, really. Um, mm. That Muck comes and he says that um, Indy needs to help him find Harold Oxley, who's a former colleague of Indy's, who's found these crystal skulls in Peru, and the rest of the film is them trying to find him, basically. Um, a- a- again, like this Oxley character, when we meet him, he's going to be played by John Hurt's. Um, mm. I'm still to this day. I always think that it's going to be this um, Abner Ravenwood um, character that was mentioned in Raiders, who you know would be in this older man part here. It's I, I don't know if that character is only in my mind because he's mentioned so much in the behind the scenes features. He seems to be a sort of a recurring almost character in most of these. He's Marion's dad, um, mm. and indeed, I do think that John Hurt sort of feels a bit out of place in that whole group when we get into the adventure. I think um, if it had been Abner Ravenwood, if it had been Sean Connery, and then you were completing a family unit, like that feels more like that's trying to say Mm. something than just the family and this old man. Couldn't they have just combined some people here? Combined Jim Broadbent with John Hurt with Ray Winston. Maybe not all of them, but just just, (laughs) like, there's too many... Too many extraneous characters here. We don't need all of them. Three mm. of the great British character actors of our time, though. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones always ends up with, like, two sidekicks, doesn't he? That's, like, his, his a thing. Woman. He... A woman? Yeah. And, uh, a woman <laughs> and a kid. <laughs> or Salah. I suppose we have a lot of the stuff that you cited earlier on, Alan, that you really liked here, where they're, um, you know, solving puzzles and they're going around tombs and stuff. Yeah, this is the best bit. Yeah, they're just kind really? of like, having, they're having to go around and actually do a quest and no, solve things it... and have a bit of interactions for the emotional stories. No. <laughs> Using a snake as a rope. No, you don't even <laughs> like this shit. There's a, there's a, there's like a machine that was a million years old in a temple, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You hate that. <laughs> I did, but at least I could, I could, I could see the physicality of what's happening. The sand goes goes away, and the rock falls down. It's like I, I can appreciate it on a purely physical level. It's like okay, I'll give you that one. Look, right. I'm not going to say I was enjoying the film up until this point, but 
I'd say it's around this point that the film like stops dead in its tracks and just totally just yeah. the wheels fall off. Um, I you know I'll tell you where the wheels fall off for me and bless her because I love her in Raiders of the Lost Ark and you know I think she it's nice to see her here in theory but when Karen Allen pops up as Marion yeah. Ravenwood she does not even feel like she's being directed it's such a like it's, it feels like a pantomime performance that she's giving like she just seems to be sort of breaking the fourth wall in every scene she's like got a big grin on her face through much of the thing and I can probably see be why because again. when was the well yeah when was the last time Karen Allen was second build to, you know, anyone in a Harris... Oh, no, wait, I tell her she's third build after Kate Blanchett, but still. Oh, really? <laughs> she was above Shia LaBeouf, wow. Yeah. That's like how uh, that's like how kids are on a lower minimum wage, isn't it? It's just... <laughs> we just treat young people like shit. Uh, they have to take it. I like, in theory, that they bring this character back and I think it's nice where, where they end it with her. She is sort of the only substantial love interest in Indy's life that we've seen in the films, so it makes sense. uh, But was she up until this point? Like, she's the only substantial love interest in his life because she comes back in this film, and they establish that she was more than just, like, one of his Bond girls that he cycled through on his many adventures. He certainly didn't marry her. Yeah. Like I know, I know they've got a bit of history in the uh, in Raiders, but I honestly wouldn't have put her on much different pegging to Willie or or Elsa, really, um, mm. in terms of like how important she was to him. But then this film sort of just brings her back and goes, "Remember her? Yeah, well, actually, she's the love of his life, and we all knew that all along, obviously. So now it's like, and and look, I get it. If you're making the last Indiana Jones movie, which they obviously thought they were at the time, it's like a nice way to bookend things, wrap it up in a bow. But it just feels a bit lazy <laughs> and messy. It's weird that she's here for the whole adventure, or like you know, the the a good chunk of the adventure." I feel like if they set her up at the start a bit, it might have worked better. If we had a scene at the beginning mm. where where Ray Winston was like, "You you need to get yourself. Tell you what, Indy, you you work too hard. You need to get yourself a nice bird." And then and then he'd be <laughs> like, "Remember that Marion you used to shag all the time? Yeah. She was a right piece." <laughs> I had a nice bird once, but I let her fly away. Some shit because like that. And that was twenty-seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. Remembers. I do. I do like the initial moment where they meet. I like how Harrison Ford plays it, just slightly goofy, like shrugging, like <laughs> kind of thing, approaching her. I, I, I like that moment. It's weird because, like, I, like I say, like I do like seeing her in some way, but I think she's bad for the film overall. I, uh-huh. I kind of obviously with hindsight, it's different. But I, do, I do sort of wish that she wasn't in this film, and then they brought her back in Dial of Destiny. <laughs> mm. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but that would have been the way I'd play it if uh, mm. if I could map this out. But no, you know, they they she's here. I don't I don't think it helps that I I was never really sold on her character. You know, I don't think her character really adds much to the equation beyond being a substantial love interest for Indy. I don't think mm. she herself has much to offer the film. They're not known for their strong writing of female characters. Yeah. Mm. They never mention aliens in this film, do they? Like they they've got this weird kind of very early on it's very clear that they're looking for aliens, but they kind of it's like how the walking dead they refuse to use the word zombie. 
It's just kind of like at a certain point, just say aliens for fuck's sake. We know what you're looking for. You you know what you're looking for. What is it they say later on? Because a character says something, and then John Hurt says interdimensional beings to be exact, kind of thing. What what is he correct? Maybe they say aliens later on, but I mean, kind of just when they're looking, they're looking at all these drawings of what are clearly space aliens on the walls. Mm. They're looking at like weird skeletons that have had their heads stretched out all long, and they're Mm. like, oh look, they they did this to worship their gods. All right. And, and it's like, Shia LaBeouf would just be like, whoa, it's Spaceman! Mm-hmm. And alright, maybe it's the 1950s, and maybe it's set before the War of the Worlds came out. <laughs> maybe he's not like a big comic book reader, maybe they're not keeping up on pop culture. But, I, I don't know. <laughs> and not to get ahead of ourselves, Dial of Destiny does the exact same thing, where it's like, <laughs> are you going to acknowledge you're looking for a time oh. machine, or are you just going <laughs> to look for this thing and pretend we don't know what, what it is? <laughs> I do um, like a lot of this stuff where the kind of at the camp they hook Indy up to a machine and he's sort of you know having a staring contest with the crystal skull or whatever and Calvin yes do you believe in crystal skulls <laughs> I do not believe in crystal skulls sorry um but do that you solve but but how but could you make <laughs> look at that Calvin could you make that <laughs> uh given a, a, a good amount of resources I'm fairly certain I could yes bit of sandpaper is all you need 3D printer. <laughs> Sandpaper. Um, Sol, do you believe that Kate Blanchett's character is actually psychic? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> she believes it. Yeah. Are we uh, meant, is there meant to be any ambiguity about that? Um, I thought I that was know. just a fun little joke. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like how they play it. I, I do like that you could read it either way. I really like the bit at the start of the film where she's trying to read Indy's mind and he just sort of like laughs at her and then it breaks her concentration. Well, he laughs at her because she reads his mind and just doesn't get anything remotely correct out of it. So she's, like, not able to do it. <laughs> she should have read his mind like, you're thinking about a Nazi monkey. What's that? <laughs> What's that? I must have misread that. <laughs> I, um, I did think it was a, a weirdly goofy element in the plot compared to, like, the other films. It sort of seems mm. like a weird little nubbin. But I do like it because, yeah, you know, these, these are characters who believe this shit. They're doing experiments into it. That's based in reality. But obviously we're, we're going to say that it's bullshit and we're going to fairly well establish that here because obviously it's a franchise full of actual supernatural elements. So you have people talk about... Being able to read minds, it, it, it'd be very easy to think, oh, well, she probably can, because, hmm. you know, that, that, that book, of, book, of, box of God was, was real, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I felt like it was pretty firmly clear that she can't read minds. And you mentioned uh, the Fableman's earlier, Sol. Are we going to talk about how Kate Blanchett's haircut in this film is exactly the same as Spielberg's mother's in um, oh, The God, Fableman's? I thought about that. Someone, someone posted a tweet about it the other day, and I was like, oh God, yeah, it's the exact same. Kate Blanchett's hair's black, and Michelle Williams is blonde, but other than that, it's like the same haircut. It's like, oh. Well, it's just, a, interesting. It's just an extreme fringe, isn't it? Yeah, but, it, you know, it's, it's a choice. Mm. I think you know if if you know he's approving hairstyles for the characters and he sees that one and it's like oh reminds me of this is the weirdest thing mother. about the Fablemans is that it's totally recolored every bit of Spielberg's filmography <laughs> and now when we go back and watch all these films we're gonna be like oh the T Rex is the guy who was cucking his dad yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we, have, we just have a lot of extended action really here. 
it's just not good enough, is it? It's like it's not yeah. bad. It's like national treasure. Yes, and I, and I just I, I, I feel like Indiana Jones should be better than that. <laughs> I think there's some like there's moments that I like and ideas that I like, but I don't know if it's because it's all just so like in the previous films. Obviously, so much was done for real, and it was really Harrison mm. Ford, you know, being tossed around on a tank and all that. Whereas here, it's like it's all so blatantly CG. Actually, no, I tell a lie. They. They filmed so much for real. In the behind the scenes, you can see that like, really? they, they, they did so much of this for real. And yet they then added in extra CGI foliage, which yeah. just sort of completely destroys the, well, yeah, the look of the thing. Um, is this where the zombie kids turn up? Oh yeah, we've gone past that, I think. The ones that are living in the ruins. <laughs> yeah, the fucking weird yeah. kids living in the... I, I, I hate that. I hate them. <laughs> it's stupid. Um, I hate when Indiana Jones grabs the blow dart gun and then blows the dart backwards into the guy's I, mouth. I quite liked that. There's like a forward and a backwards face to a dart. Maybe you can <laughs> blow really strong. I hate... I no, You know what I like, actually? my fa- One of my favourite bits in the whole film. And it's this bit. Some of that, some of that Shia LaBeouf magic. Uh, you know he falls down a ladder in one shot. Right. Oh, wasn't that a good pratfall? It was fantastic. Oh. That, was some, <laughs> that was that Shia LaBeouf, even Stevens magic. It was such a good fall. I was cracking up. That's why he put him in the film, so he could do stuff like that. A little bit more of that, please, Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> if we made Mutt a bumbling imbecile, it would have been a much better film. If he was just, like, slipping on banana peels and, you know. He's not far off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, he does, like, swing around with the monkeys. Like, uh, you know, if they did throw a banana in there. Yeah, very competently. Very competently. I'll say. My God. Like, yeah. <laughs> that whole bit's just awful. And, and you know, deservedly. I, I, I've been more than willing to give the film a lot of allowances up to this point. But it is the, the whole car chase bit that kind of throws me off uh, a cliff i just can't it's it's a it just it piles on top of each other it's the monkeys and then it's the cgi ants which are obviously this film's creepy crawly scene but it doesn't quite work yeah. because when they're so obviously cg yeah they're just shit looking it's just like cgi slime all the waterfall stuff i don't really care for it's, the snake yeah. by the way let's not gloss over that mm, when he uses it to pull him out of the quicksand yeah what again what were they thinking what was that why did they think that? What number one? Who thought of that? Number two? Why didn't? Because look, I'm not being right. If I was writing an Indiana Jones movie and it was up late and my deadline was the next day, and look, sometimes I get into a mood of like, I'm just gonna write some stupid shit here because fuck it, I'll do what I want and it'll be funny and we can sort it out in the rewrites. Why did no one change it? They got a note saying we have to have a snake moment. Yeah. Fine. I'm alright with that. But can we not do this, please? Can we do something not shit? Can we do something <laughs> less terrible? No. No? Okay. No. Would the snake be really angry about that? Like, it feels like... Yeah, I doubt it would they're be not happy designed it. to be. They're not designed <laughs> to be a rope. Like, you know. oh. It'd probably just snap its head off. <laughs> I, I feel like, just find a branch. Rip a branch off of one of the bushes. At what point, the, the odds you would find that massive snake there, just there casually, and then be able to just go up and pick it up, and it's just kind of letting you do it. I think if you get sent to find a rope or something to grab something with, and you come back with a snake, then 
you're a sociopath. <laughs> Indiana Jones is like, oh, not a snake. Can we do something else? He's not like, a snake? Are you fucking mental? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Did you drop him on his head as a child, Marion? Yeah, I blame the parent. <laughs> I do kind of like Harrison for like Indy when he has, sort of switches into father mode and he's complaining about mo- not staying in school and that kind of stuff. I, 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 I do like some of that. Some, some of the why lines go, around here are go, amusing me. Take off your jacket, throw me one of the sleeves, hold on to the other end. (laughs) (laughs) They do fall down three waterfalls. Yes. With with nary a scratch amongst them. Remember when we watched the first one and we were like, oh, it's so good that Indy really gets beaten up and he really feels, you know, the trauma of what he's going through. Mm. They gave that up. No one gets beat up in this, and to say that they're all, like, this this, this car that's going off all these waterfalls, it's, like, half of, you know, more, more than half of them, four out of five people are over the age of 60, it seems, and <laughs> uh, they're coming out of it without a scratch on them. It's just, like, mm. Uh, so they get the, the Crystal Skull back to the temple, tomb, burial, ground? Don't quite know what this is. Yeah, we, we get the best bit in the film, don't we? Oh, really? Uh, I mean, I, I don't dislike it, but... Where where Han Solo comes out and looks at camera. <laughs> I got a bad feeling about this. I mean, in, cl- in case it's not clear, I am being facetious. I think that is the worst moment in the entire <laughs> film. <laughs> Why did they feel the need to do that? Come I, on. Al- Alan, are you even aware of what this is? <laughs> Go on. Yeah, see, see, I don't think it's a problem just because I don't think anyone even picks up on this. In every single Star Wars film, there is a character that says, I've got a bad feeling about this, and I think it is mm. most notably Harrison Ford who does it, so yeah. this is supposed to be a reference yeah. to, to that. Because it's aliens and... Get it? It's Star Wars. It's like when Chris Hemsworth was in Men in Black 4, and then they had a scene where there was a hammer... <laughs> and he was trying to grab the hammer to fight the bad guy, and then he like looked at camera and went, <laughs> "It's did awful. he actually?" Uh, he, doesn't <laughs> quite, he doesn't quite look at camera. I don't think no, but yeah. he's trying to grab a hammer, and there is like a beat where they kind of look at him like, "Ooh, hammer!" <laughs> I think he tries to make the hammer come towards his hand, in fact, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Why? Uh, anyway, all right. Well, I hate it, but it's one line. I thought you were going to cite the best bit of the film as being where Kate uh, Blanchett's head explodes in flames. Uh... Look, I'm all for a villain in in these movies melting at the hands of the artifact <laughs> they've been chasing the whole way through. I'm fine with that. That's good. I do think it looks shit here, and once again, ludicrous choice to not employ some uh, practical effects if you can't make it look better than just mm. bullshit CGI. Basically, what happens, they pull out the, the crystal skull, all the alien skeletons like that are there in this temple like form into one alien skeleton together which doesn't really make any sense but okay it's like each each Magic. dead skeleton is like a fraction of a full living alien <laughs> yeah that one yeah. okay well, all right um and then it like offers her whatever she wants essentially doesn't it it's like a reward and she's like oh tell me tell me everything you know i want all of your knowledge hmm. and then the alien gives her that but it melts her head because it's, like, too much knowledge for one mind. Monkey's paw. But mm. the alien looks at her really angry, like, fuck you, here's all the knowledge, you fucking piece of shit. Piece of shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why, why is the alien angry at her? I do feel like that's a, that, that feels like a Spielberg touch 
you know, because, oh, she's a bad guy and the aliens have to be, you know, on our side, kind of thing, on the side of the capitalists. But, yeah, no, I agree. I wish that the alien had just been kept a sort of more benevolent figure. Like, yeah. the alien's just like, yeah, sure, okay, here's everything. And then it's just like, oh, yeah. shit, it turns out that's what you do when you just download <laughs> the knowledge of everything in the universe into a human brain. But Yeah. Uh, and I think that would play better as the, it's, it, there's more of a running theme of hubris in these films, and it's that just plays like the alien mm. killed her. Yeah. It doesn't play like what it's clearly written as. Yeah. Should've I really melted. don't like how it's You know what I don't like? I don't like bloody Ray Winston sort of sort of like it, again, this feels like a real scene missing moment because there's a bit where Indy and his gang are all running out. He's doing that Loading thing. Loading his pockets with treasure. Yeah, he's doing the Brendan Fraser mummy villain thing, and then it's <laughs> like, then Indy's like, "Come on, Aladdin 3. And it? then there's a, and then there's a cut to another shot, and then we cut back, and suddenly Ray Winston's like on the floor, like clinging on for dear life. He's, I think he's on, uh, holding onto Indy's whip, isn't he? It just feels like, well, wow, something, something is missing here. Uh, but then he lets go and mm. goes off into the interdimensional engine, whatever it is, I don't know. The multiverse. Yeah. That's the sequel. Yes. <laughs> and then we just have a load more shots where the characters are running from A to B and there's CGI stuff going on around them that feels like it's barely interacting with them. It's like when the whole temple is falling to pieces and there's water everywhere and the actors are just running they don't even feel like they're really reacting to like the stuff that's going on around them. It's, yeah. It's just wanking it. It's just shit. <laughs> No one cares what's happening at this point. It's just boring. It's just shit. Um, then we end with a wedding. Yeah. Uh, which is about as, you know, fairy tale, and they lived happily ever after as it could get. Uh, it's a shame to see that there are no, none of Indy's past friends that we've seen on previous adventures have turned up for this wedding. No, no Willie, no Short Round, no Salah. Uh. <laughs> That's why they had to establish that his dad was dead, isn't it? Yeah. Because he would be a notable absence at the wedding. Yeah, and Marcus, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The other ones you can kind of hand wave, I guess. But yeah, it's a bit, it's not choice. It wouldn't have been that difficult on a movie like this to bring back. Fucking short round wouldn't have gone a miss there. Well, Steven he? Spielberg's married to Willie, so it's like, how could they not think to get her back? Well, but... that's all right, because it would be a bit fucking weird if you brought your ex to your <laughs> wedding, generally. Yeah. Um, or just someone you shagged once. I don't really know. Apparently they did offer um, John Rhys-Davies uh, a cameo here, but he turned it down because he said that uh, he wanted a more substantial role. Which I guess he didn't have that same level of discrepancy when they, when they came to offering him a part in Dial of Destiny, but we'll talk about it next time. So, that's... And, th and then, yeah... Here's where we end. They have the hats fly in, and Mutt picks it up, about to put it on, but nope. Indy takes it, and then, yeah. yeah. Happy ending. A curious move. Hmm. A sort of, a sort of, uh, ah, nah. Yeah. From Spielberg. Well, this is the weird thing, because I don't know if they've ever really officially come out and said, oh, yeah, this was, you know, the plan to do Mutt Williams spin-off movies with Harrison Ford back in a supporting part. I imagine that if... If Shia LaBeouf's character had gone down really well and everyone loved him and everyone was dying for the Mutt Williams adventures, then I'm sure that they would have done it. But, I, yeah, I guess this is them sort of edging mm. their bets. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's that's the fourth one. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was that bad. It's not that bad. And you know what? Uh, controversial opinion here. But even rewatching it, even bumping down my original score... 
that I had for this film from a 6 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10. That's what I give it, a 5 out Mm. of 10. I still think it's better than Temple of Doom. Mm. How much did you give that again? 5 out of 10. Oh, okay. There's not a lot in it, but... um, Yeah. Yeah, they're they're both shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... I mean, like I say, I, I was on board for the first hour, and then it just bored me after that. I lost, lost me. There's a lot to like it. Like I, I, people act like it. You know, South Park famously did a, an entire, entire episode dedicated mm-hmm. to Steven Spielberg and George Lucas raping the character of Indiana Jones in response to this for 20 minutes, just parodies of famous rape scenes from films like Deliverance, but with Indiana Jones as the victim. Famous subtle humor. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. Possibly the worst episode they ever made, ironically enough. <laughs> but yeah, it's um I, I think I think the response was a bit vitriolic, a bit over the top, and it's a mess. There is good stuff here. Yeah, it's pretty bad, but like, come on. I I agree. I think this had an awful lot of vitriol, and I think if it had come out mm, eight years prior. I don't think it would have had that, but I think it was coming out at such a time when, and I'm saying this from personal experience, YouTube was becoming a thing, and video blogging, and personal blogs, and all that kind of stuff, and there was such sort of like an emphasis on, you know, heightened opinions, and everything's either like, you know, really, you've got to be really outrageous to get noticed, and you've got to have the biggest, most, you know... Had that really started then youtube i guess it had hadn't it yeah. angry video game nerd and yeah and yep. game grumps and all that shit yeah you know what because that's that's why i've spoken to people we'll get into this next time properly but i've spoken to people who are vehemently adamant that uh dial of destiny is hated everyone hates it it's meant to be shit mm. and it's like no it's not i think it's going down quite well actually it's just that there's like <laughs> A whole industry built around making videos complaining about every fucking blockbuster that comes out as mm-hmm. it comes out, and certain easily influenced young men uh, will watch all these YouTube essays just being complaining. Go woke, go broke mm. uh, about how the new new Indiana Jones it went woke. No, I think that's exactly it. It's only got a woman in it. Yeah. And I, I think that's still around, that's obviously still around to this day, and I think that that's a part of the reason why this film has the reputation it does, because you know, they're, they're always going about like, oh, they shouldn't have uh, premiered Dial of Destiny at Cannes. They premiered this at Cannes, and it went down very well. It had, you know, quite good reviews, really. Not, you know, 100% style, you know, kind of thing, but still, it was reviewed quite well at the time. But that, that is baffling, because they... they clearly shouldn't have premiered Dial of Destiny at Cannes, because it, it debuted with 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, and now the film's come out, it's up to 69% at the uh, mm. time of recording. Nice. But, like, you know, it, it clearly did go down a lot better with general audiences than uh, critics uh, this time round, and I don't I don't know what's changed, why... Mm. Unless, unless you think that is because the kind of people at Cannes are now YouTube critics who... Mm-hmm. Have to go and make angry, yeah. negative-driven reviews for the content. I I, I don't know. It's... Possibly, but it was like you know, it wasn't badly reviewed at the time. And I think you know, from just anecdotally, yeah. people that I know who have gone back to it after all these years and watching it, you know, with some hindsight, so oh, actually, it's not. It's not at that bad. It's not like it's you know the room or it's not a disaster on any kind of scale, it's just it doesn't work quite as well as the 
of the three in a lot of people's opinions, Sol. And yeah, I, I suppose I'm one of those, because I rank it below those three. I'm going to give it a six out of ten. But, you know, I revisited it for the first time in many years a few months ago, and I was sort of surprised to like, oh, actually, I don't, you know, hate it. It's not an awful watch. It's just, yeah, it doesn't hold up, and it, it gets boring in the second hour uh, when you're just watching the characters go from A to B throughout the jungle, and the action just isn't as gripping as previously. Um, but it's not bad. Yeah, I gave it a six as well in a very similar kind of, eh, nah. It was just too... The last hour was just so slow and boring. Mm. Like, when it just gets into the action-y stuff, I was like, okay. Mm. It's not well done enough to, to, to let you drag it out that long. Yeah. Lackluster. Did you like how Dial of Destiny, right? It's it's going to lose loads of money. It is losing loads of money at the cinema. Mm. And one of the reasons for that is because in a week or so, um, or a couple of weeks, we will have... Barbie and Oppenheimer double bill upon us, hmm. and everyone's going to go see that instead. And um, did you like that? Because because they're they're taking out Harrison Ford here, but in this film, Kate Blanchett quotes Oppenheimer, "I I am I am become death." And then and then also Indiana Jones is intrinsically linked to Barbie, isn't he? Because uh, Aqua did their song. Dr. Jones, Jones, call in Dr. Jones. Uh, and that was their second biggest hit after Barbie Girl. It's all a rich tapestry. I fully uh, am prepared to be wrong on this, to be shown up by this. I think that the Dial of Destiny, I think it's probably going to lose... Well, it's, it can't not lose money. I mean, it costs $300 million to make, which that, is insane. Oh, the, the only reason it's on track to be a gigantic bomb is because of the insane budget it mm. had to start with. If it'd be, if they'd spent a reasonable amount of money on it for the sort of film that it is, it would be doing just fine. Mm. I think it'll still... I think it'll hang around in cinemas longer than, like, The Flash, for instance, just because it is an older skewing yeah. film. It's not like all the Marvel films that everyone, you know, to see on yeah, every yeah, weekend. Yeah. So, I think, I don't think it'll do, <laughs> I don't think it'll do that badly overall, but it will just, it's just destined to do badly because they spent so much money on it. They spent, like, a hundred million dollars more on it than they did on Crystal Skull, which, according to Wikipedia, had a one hundred and eighty-five million dollar budget. It's the thirteenth most expensive film ever made. God. <laughs> Which is just just insane. And and you know, we'll get into this properly next time, but there's there's not really anything in the film to like where you, you look at the film and go, Oh, that's where they spent the money. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true actually. So far, the rule has uh, held true. Odd numbered indie, good. Mm. <laughs> and Nazis are in it. <laughs> and so far so. even numbered indie. Bad, no Nazis. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out uh, with Dial of Destiny. Mm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. What's that mountain transition going to be like? Eh, it's not even. It's not even Paramount now. <laughs> well, I look forward to discussing d- discussing it with you, gentlemen. Until next time. See ya. I'm audibly picking up Calvin's little beanie hat. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking it up and I'm looking at it like, oh, you know what? I might pick that. I might be the next Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Calvin's just snatched it out of my hands. 